All right. Greetings, everybody. Uh, let's uh, open up with a word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you again for this time that we have, that we can um, study this book, the screw tape letters, and, and learn from the wisdom of the past. We ask that your spirit would be with us, uh, at giving us discernment and wisdom and understanding, that we might uh, grow in our faith, and especially that we would grow in uh, fighting against temptation and sin. We ask this in the, the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This evening, <clears throat> this evening we're moving into letters 7 and 8. And in the, the first letter, letter 7, there's a couple things for us that I uh, um, want to focus on from this letter. Uh, the first of is you have the question being raised in letter 7 on the existence of demons, uh, particularly on the human experience of that. And uh, Screwtape, as he's uh, talking about uh, this with Wormwood, uh, he says, our policy for the moment is to conceal, of, uh, to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. Uh, what this is getting at is the idea that, you know, throughout history, and especially as you read uh, the New Testament, you see part of Jesus' ministry was their interactions with demons. Uh, this was something that was um, they were more prevalent at that time period, and um, these particular interactions of demon possession and things like that. Uh, and so you have, at that time period, kind of a, I don't know if proliferation is the right word, but you it was something that was more open and understood and recognized than had to be dealt with in that period of time. Now, this is not to say that demons have just disappeared, uh, and this is not to say that they aren't active today, um, but especially in our uh, day and age, this is not something that, how, how do I want to put this? There seems to be a level of concealment that uh, is going on in our modern age than what you've seen in the past. Uh, though you can make arguments that you can see uh, activity of demons in uh, different parts of the world and in different things that are going on. Uh, but the way the discussion goes in Lewis's book is he starts to talk about, you know, what are the positives and negatives about um, whether or not human beings believe in demons or not. Uh, and one of the, um, so first he talks about, you know, what it is, uh, what's the, the downside of, uh, them concealing their identity. And the, the downside of this is that he talks about we, uh, they lose the pleasure of uh, inflicting themselves directly on human beings. But he also talks about that we make no magicians. And this is something that uh, he talks about a little bit later on, where he talks about uh, you know, the desire for the materialist magician. And part of what Screwtape's talking about here is you see uh, also in the scriptures these examples, especially in the Old Testament, of uh, people who are able to do things by certain magic arts. You can think of uh, when Moses was talking to Pharaoh and doing all these signs and wonders. You had these, these people who were trying to copy these signs. Uh, there seems to be an implication. There were other things involved there. You had um, when Daniel uh, is in Babylon, you had the king of Babylon, had all these uh, wizards and sorcerers and diviners. Um, you've got Saul interacting with a, a sorceress, you know, someone who's interacting with spirits. And, and so you have people who are doing, um, who with involvement with spiritual forces are uh, capable of doing certain things within a, within a certain extent. Well, of course, if you want people to, to not think about demons, you lose, you kind of lose an aspect of that. Uh, that's what Screwtape's talking about here. 
Then he talks about, well, if you then reveal yourselves to people, yes, you gain that benefit, but then you lose on the downside. It's kind of hard to make people materialists and skeptics. Uh, materialists, of course, are people who think that all that there is is just the material world. And uh, if you start having people believe in supernatural beings and realities, they're going to recognize there's something more than just this material world. And they're going to start to think about other things. They're not just going to be skeptical about everything. And one of the particular dangers from you know, Screwtape's perspective is that if you have people that start to believe in the, the supernatural or the spiritual realm, that, that leads to there's a question about God. Um, because God is a, a, a spiritual being. If all you believe is that there's just a material world, that this earth is all there is, well, then you don't believe in a God. You don't believe there's anything else. You don't believe in a supernatural realm or any of, of those kinds of things. So to believe in demons then necessarily raises that question of the existence of God and everything else uh, connected with Christianity after that. Those group tapes goes on to talk about the ideal path for their perspective would be uh, to try to get people to the point where you kind of have a you kind of have a middle road, um, some uh, somewhere between believing in the supernatural and yet being materialistic. And this is what he calls the the materialist magician. Uh, the man who's not using, but veritably worshiping what he vaguely calls forces while denying the existence of spirits, then the end of the war will be in sight. Uh, the idea of this is that, you know, you've, and, and this is actually, I think, something that we're kind of moving into in our modern day and age. There's a lot of people that believe there's, there's things out there. There are forces that are involved in this world. There are forces that can influence things. Um, but they wouldn't necessarily say that the supernatural realm is real. They wouldn't necessarily say that, uh, that spirits like demons, per se, are real. Um, they would still be materialistic in a, in a lot of ways, while still acknowledging some kind of forces. And what this does is this, this puts people at the influence of demons to a certain extent, while also in the same way denying the supernatural realm, which would shelter them from dealing with the ultimate questions of God and sin and afterlife and, and all those things. So this is, the, this is something that, you know, Lewis is talking about back in the 1940s, and yet it's something that, uh, at least from what I've seen, seems to be something becoming more popular in our country and in, in our day and age. Uh, then Screwtape goes on to talk about, he goes on to talk about um, how do you, uh, protect this person that you're tempting from believing in demons or coming to recognize the existence of demons. And uh, the tactic that he uses is this. Is you, uh, you remind them of the ridiculousness of such a thing. And this is connected with, you know, um, if you were to just hear the word devil, what's one of the first images that pops into your mind probably? You picture a guy in a red, uh, in a red suit uh, with a tail and a pitchfork and little horns something cartoonish. It's something that, you know, we, uh, it's a popular image in our culture. And you think about that and you're like, of course that's not real. Therefore, demons aren't real. Well, that's not actually the, you know, that, that doesn't actually logically follow. Just because a cartoon impression is out there does not answer the question of whether or not those spiritual beings exist or not. But the point here is to, you know, to have a red herring to distract them, to, to bring up just how ridiculous it would, be, it would be to believe in something so childish. Uh, and this connects, I think, um, 
uh, a little bit with the, the third commandment in terms of, you know, the third commandment talks about um, uh, not using God's name in vain. But our catechism goes on to then expand it to uh, talk about uh, holy and reverent use of all the things whereby God makes himself known. And that includes talking about the spiritual realm. That includes talking about things like heaven and hell. Um, the way that hell is used is kind of a, a, a just a, a word that people just throw out there. It, it empties it of its meaning and significance. You know, people can talk about, use the word hell all day long, but none of them actually believe in its existence. And the, the use of that word just kind of waters it down. Thing, same thing when, when we talk about demons, uh, the spiritual realm, all those things. These things can get talked about in so many irreverent ways that they lose all of their meaning. And so people have no problem. You know, you know all they think about is you know, demons, those kinds of things, just red tights, pitchforks, tails. And they never think that those things might actually be real. So Srutape's uh, strategy for uh, helping the patient to doubt the existence of demons is to focus on this ridiculousness of it. Uh, use the comic form. Remind him that there's no way that you could possibly exist as someone tempting him and trying to influence him. So uh, that's the first thing I wanted to focus on here from letter seven is just this, this conversation about the existence of demons. Uh, but I want to open it up uh, if there's any questions or comments. I imagine that this might be a topic uh, where there might be some more questions. I could be wrong, but are there any questions or comments on this? Yeah, Randy. I'm just wondering, when you were talking about how Satan is not as visible nowadays, I'm just wondering if it has gone underground. Because I hear of people who actually worship Satan. And I don't know how prevalent that is, but I'm sure they don't do that out there in the public. I'm sure it's something we do. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> questions about uh, people who worship Satan, and that does exist. Um, <clears throat> I think there's even a, an organization called the Church of Satan or something like That's that. A, uh, almost like a troll. Is it? Yeah. It, okay. It's, it's there, and it has, they have people, but it's really, it's to really to make fun of us. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I do know there are groups out there that do actually worship Satan. And we also need to make a distinction that, you know, you may have, you may not very often have groups that uh, explicitly worship Satan, but they may be worshiping demons unawares. I think you see that in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10 when Paul's talking about um, not participating in the, the festivals for idols and things like that. And he specifically says, um, in terms of why you can't participate in those festivals, you can't eat of the table of God and the table of demons. You know, he's he's saying now these people they're you know they're worshiping um, I, I can't remember the Greek god in Corinth, but you know they're they're worshiping Aphrodite. You know, they're worshiping these Greek gods, things like that, and their their temples. Paul's saying there actually is something going on. They are participating in a spiritual event with demons with this false worship. And uh, Christians are not supposed to participate with that. Um, and so especially with a lot of the, um, there's a lot of paganism that's coming, especially among younger generations. There's a lot of paganism that's rising in our country. Uh, you know, there's a movement of uh, kind of normalizing witches and things like that. And um, 
you know, these people, they're getting involved in stuff that they don't really know what they're, they're doing. Um, and they're, there may be um, a lot of demonic and spiritual connections there. So, yeah, George. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, it was interesting, you know, reading this chapter right after that uh, event on the Grammys with um, with that song. And I haven't seen it, so I, I don't know a whole lot about it, um, just from what I've read from other people. Um, but even that goes back to our uh, image of Satan is straight out of far side comedy. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there are definitely those aspects of kind of the, you know... Um, comedic images that are being utilized there. But whether it's a but whether that performance was meant as a was meant sincerely or meant as just a joke, mocking, comedic entertainment thing, I, I don't know. Yeah, they they probably were trying to be provocative. But whatever the case, the spiritual realm is real, Satan is real, demons are real. You don't mess with that. You don't joke about that. You don't. That's a, a dangerous position to be in, and um, and that's you know, but that's where our culture is headed. Um, so I don't know how sincere those people were being. Some of the things I saw made me made me made me think it was an attempt to be provocative, and people were just kind of jumping on that bandwagon. But whichever whatever the case is, it's it's a bad place for our culture to be in. Where that is so mainstream and acceptable, that 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 should scare us a little bit. You mentioned uh, devils unaware in in Hinduism. There's where you're taken over by a spirit. It's called the Kundalini, mm-hmm. and these people do all these gyrations and all these different types of things that compare identically what's going on in the hypercapitalistic with people all around the floor, mm-hmm. yep, barking like a dog. And, and all that stuff. So, I mean, I, I think that that's a Kundalini spirit that has affected that portion of the church. Yeah, that, that's possible. For those online, uh, you know, Jeff's just mentioning, um, you know, some of the things you've got in, uh, was it Hinduism? Hinduism with um, uh, with spirits interacting with people. And, you, just, you know, you see a lot of things in that which are very similar to some of the stuff you see in some of the extreme charismatic movements. And, I want to be careful about uh, what uh, it's, it's hard to know for certain what's going on in some of those things, but there's definitely questions that should be raised. And uh, especially for the, you know, from the charismatic perspective, those things are not in conformity with the scriptures. When, when the Holy spirit is supposedly making you act like a beast as opposed to a human being, which everywhere in the scripture is seen as a bad thing in a judgment of God, that should make you question as to whether or not that's really the Holy spirit or not uh, at work there. So, um, Terry and then Randy. Take a stab at synagogues of Satan. <laughs> um, which part of it? You go in a lot of directions there. Well, if you talk about the culture and demons, that seems to bring it home into, we've got churches that, yeah. that they're synagogues of Satan. Yeah. 
So uh, uh, for those online, you know, Terry's you know, bringing up our confession talks about uh, synagogues of Satan. What, what does that mean? So um, what our confession is talking about there is churches who have so fallen away from the faith so as to no longer be considered churches, but to be considered synagogues of Satan. And, um, and part of this, uh, what's being communicated there is that, um, well, a couple of things. So one... Churches can be more pure and pure. No church is perfect. Uh, while our acronym may be the OPC, only perfect church, you know, we're not perfect. Uh, no church is perfect. Um, I know, right? Yeah. Sorry to, sorry to burst your bubble there, but so we're not perfect. Um, but you're, you're going to have churches that are more faithful or less, uh, well, I'll end up put it this way, more pure or less pure in their conformity to you know, the true religion, uh, Christianity. This doesn't mean, just because a church is less pure than another, doesn't mean that they're not a church. Um, you know, we've got disagreements with, uh, with other Christians about how certain things are supposed to be practiced. One of us is right, one of us is wrong, um, but we still believe in the same essentials, we still believe in the same gospel, we still believe in the same Savior, um, all of that. And so uh, while one may be more pure or less pure, we're still true churches. However, it is possible for a church to become more and more corrupted. Uh, you see this in like uh, Roman Catholicism or liberal denominations and things like that, where uh, it no longer is a true church. It's not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you don't have that unity um, around one gospel, one savior, all those things uh, anymore. And at that point, that church is serving another master. And if they aren't serving Christ by preaching the message of his salvation and his gospel and, and ordering themselves in conformity to the scriptures and how that's supposed to operate, um, then they're serving Satan in the end uh, and becoming a, uh, a false church. Um, now, this doesn't mean there can't be individual Christians within that group, but it's despite uh, their participation in that group, not because of it. So. Does that answer your question, Terry? Yeah, a little I just bit. Wanted to put it out there that I mean, yes, the culture we see that. That's yes. The culture, this other thing that maybe we don't see only as we do see. The yeah. Other. I mean, and if you, uh, yeah, Satan and demons are at work not just in the culture broadly speaking, but they are at work um, even in what maybe you know what our culture may view as Christian groups or institutions. Seems to be the anchor model. When you start pushing that, pushing that aside, that yeah, starting down the slope. Yeah, no, uh, you're exactly right. When the when a church starts to lose their doctrine of the Word of God, um, that's what leads to everything else. I mean, even in, you know, you look at the history of the Presbyterian Church. Um, some of the first battles are battles over inerrancy. Is the Bible the Word of God? And is it? Does it have mistakes? And when you start to have people in the church who say that the Bible has errors or problems, that leads to everything else. That leads to denying miracles. That leads to denying the resurrection. That leads to denying the divinity of Christ. That leads to denying salvation. And then the church is transformed from being the community of the saved to being a social club, which is involved in activism. And that's exactly what happened in the, the liberal Presbyterian church. 
Uh, no, it's an older term. I mean, the, the confession was written in the 1600s. Um, yeah, yeah, it's from, well, it's, it'd be in the King James. I don't know if they, they translate the same in the ESV. Um, but it is a reference to a passage. I can't remember which passage it is now, though. Yeah, Westminster, yeah. I didn't bring my uh, copy with the, the footnotes with me. I will. Uh, I'll try to look that up and come <clears throat> come back. So. There we go. Revelation two nine. Revelation two nine. Oh, there we go. Uh, this is to the church in Smyrna. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There we go. Um. This is the uh, so this is language that Jesus is using to describe the Jews. This is Jews who have rejected Christ, and so they are no longer a true uh, synagogue, you know, be meeting house. They're no longer a true meeting house of God, but they are a meeting house of Satan in the end because they're opposed to God. So there we go. We put it together eventually. All right. Any other uh, any other questions or comments before we move on? Okay. Um, the other thing I want to talk about from letter seven, uh, and this is on, I believe it's on page 32, is he talks about uh, extremes. And particularly, uh, Screwtape is encouraging Wormwood to encourage extremes in the patient. He says, all extremes except extreme devotion to the enemy are to be encouraged. Not always, of course, but at this period. Some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and then it is our busyness to soothe them yet fast or asleep. Other ages, of which the present is one, are unbalanced and prone to faction, and it is our business to inflame them. Uh, first thing we're, we're getting at here is, you know, there's different periods of time in someone's life where you may be uh, prone to different vices. Um, you know, young people are especially uh, prone to enthusiasm. They want to give themselves to something, devote themselves to something, you know, go out, conquer the world, and uh, they can be tempted and led astray into kind of following after extreme things that, uh, you know, not having much wisdom. Uh, this is why, you know, it, uh, uh, what, what do we call them? You know, sophomores, you know, they think they know everything and they're just going to run around with all this knowledge, but they don't have any wisdom to actually know what they know or know what they don't know. And so you've got different time periods that are prone to different vices. And in the particular time period of um, the patient's life that uh, Wormwood is tempting, he is prone to being unbalanced and prone to faction. Um, and so uh, Screwtape is encouraging him to in inflame this, encourage this, you know, uh, press on this point. Uh, by the way, I want to bring out there's a, a word here called a cautery. I think I pronounced that right. Um, which is talking about, uh, it's talking about a group that exists um, essentially with one of its primary purposes being to exclude uh, other people. And so uh, Screwtape wants this patient to start to get involved in someone, to, to you know, start to get involved in a cause. And especially now you've got the war coming on. It's going to be co uh, conversation about pacifism uh, versus patriotism. And whichever one you get them into, get them into an extreme that uh, puts him in a, a position where he's going to be exclusive of other people, 
and look down on them and, uh, and really press into this. Uh, one other thing Screwtape talks about is he talks about the desire to uh, raise up factions within the church. He says we want the church to be small, not only that fewer people may know the enemy, but also those who do may acquire the uneasy intensity and the defense of self-righteousness of a secret society or a clique. Now, God, of course, is going to uh, protect his church, but one of the things that can happen in a church is the church develops a cliquishness, where we start to become our own kind of you know, ingrown, um, our, our ingrown uh, clique or secret society. Um, Lewis goes on the reference, you know, Paul in Corinthians talks about, you know, some follow Paul and some follow Apollos and some follow this. You know, even the, the beginning of the church, you had these factions that were developing. And it was continue on even to the, to the present day. That's something that we should uh, not be. We should not be cliquish or like a, a secret society uh, in the church. But getting back to the, uh, to the main point here, uh, within this context of World War II going on, you've got some people that are opposed to violence altogether and some people who are going to be you know, very strongly patriotic. It's a time of war. That's, that's normal. Screwtape doesn't care which one the person chooses. Uh, Lewis is not a pacifist, so he, he does view that as, a, as an extreme. Um, Screwtape, in the end, he doesn't care. He wants him to take one and then to go after it with all that he is. He goes on, uh, I think this is on page 34. He talks about, Whichever he adopts, your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as a part of his religion. Notice that. As he takes a side, either on pacifism or patriotism, he is so wrapped up in this that it becomes part of his religion. It's not just... uh, it's not just this thing on the side. It's becoming part of identity. Screwtape goes on to say, Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. So now it's not just something on the side of religion or Christianity. Now it's the most important part. You're not a true Christian if you don't agree with me on this. Then quietly and gradually, uh, this is Screwtape again, then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes purely marked part of the cause, in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the British war effort or of pacifism. So then it moves beyond just, you know, uh, you're not a Christian if you don't agree with me on this, to now is all that you care about is that cause, whether it's patriotism in the war or whether it's pacifism. And the Bible then just becomes a support to reinforce you in that, in the end. Once you have made, uh, screw tape again, once you have made the world an end, in faith a means, you have almost won your man. So what's screw tape getting at here? He's getting at essentially almost doing a, a bait and switch. As you get this person so wrapped up into this thing, make that his religion in the end. And all of his relationship with Christianity, that just becomes an attachment, a support to what it is that his heart is completely wrapped up in. And this is something that is incredibly prevalent today. I mean, you can even think about it you know, coming out of um, COVID and all the, uh, the fighting that happened at that point. Um, 
I think all of us have probably seen people at different points in time that we would describe in this way that is so wrapped up in their particular view, whichever view it is, but they take it to such an extreme that you're not a Christian if you don't agree with me on my position on this. And even more so, this position is the most important thing now. We all have to be fighting for it, and Christianity is now, in the end, just a part of supporting whichever side you take. And that's exactly what Lewis is describing here. We've been living it for the past couple of years. This is something that should cause us to pause a little bit. Uh, Christianity is not about causes. And I should uh, should back up a little bit. This isn't to say... Uh, connecting it to patriotism in particular, this is not to say that patriotism is bad. This is not to say we shouldn't love our country. We should love our country. This is where we live. This is our, you know, this is, um, we're citizens of our country. We should care about it. We should be involved in it. But this is about keeping our priorities straight in the end. Patriotism in our country should not be an extreme that then becomes the end-all, be-all, where it's central to who we are and our identity and everything that's uh, that um, of, of every part of our life. Rather, God is to be the center. Christianity is to be the center. Our relationship with God is to be the center. And it has a connection with our relationship with our country and things like that, but that can't um, supersede it. It can't supplant that. And so we should try to avoid those extremes in the end. Satan is always going to try to push us to go further and further and further until God no longer is the priority. But that's not what we're supposed to be like. God should be, and that's what he says at the beginning, all extremes except extreme devotion to the enemy. All of them are to be encouraged except for that one. But that's the one that we're supposed to be identified with. We are to be extreme in one thing and one thing only, Devotion to God. Doesn't mean the other things aren't important, but we're not to be extreme in them like uh, so such that we lose our devotion to God in the end. Okay. Any questions or comments on that before we move to, to letter eight? Letter eight will be a little bit shorter. Yes, Sue. I think sometimes Yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. You know, homeschooling versus public schooling or versus Christian schooling. You know, it's totally fine to have an opinion. It's totally fine to have a discussion about it. What's not totally fine is when we make that such a big deal and we go to such an extreme that we then start cutting people out of the church effectively. Maybe not, we may not actually do it, but if you stop associating with someone because they now disagree with you on that, that's a problem. That's, that's exactly what Lewis is talking about here. We could probably come up with a, a bunch of examples if we took the time to do it, because this is something that happens all the time, even in Reformed churches. Yeah. Did you have your hand up, Randy? Yeah. I was just going to say, um, I think a lot of politicians are Christians. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you really you know, sit down and push them a little bit and see they're really politicians who yep. claim that they, they're Christians. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's another example of this. Uh, 
Randy's bringing up the fact that you know we've got a lot of politicians who claim to be Christians, but probably actually aren't. But what they're doing is they're they're appealing to this attitude that you know Christianity um, is valued because it, it it supports what it is they want to do or supports them being in office and you know gathering support from Christians. And so they don't actually care about God. They don't actually care about religion. They just care about the benefit that they get from associating with it because people will look at them in a certain way because of it. I mean, in all polit... Well, I should be careful. There may be some who don't. Um, What I mean is both parties do this. Both parties will quote the Bible. Both parties will go to church. Both parties will make all these big public displays. Not because they actually care about God or the Bible, but because it will f- gave it'll get them some kind of favor or support they believe. So, okay. Any other comments or questions? We're getting into all kinds of hot water today. All right, let's turn over to to letter number eight. Letter number eight uh, mainly focuses on the uh, the issue of. Uh, kind of the ups and downs, or particularly focuses more on the downs, or uh, as Lewis will call them, the troughs. And uh, the first part, or the first point we have to see here is this. Um, In the Christian life, there are great highs. Uh, There are, especially, you know, for for someone who's a new convert, you know, it's a, a great experience to realize, you know, God loves me, he's forgiven my sins, you know, all those things. That's a a great emotional and spiritual high that um, that people go through. But those emotions are not meant to last, and they don't last. And so you can go from this high to then going down into a low or into a trough. And part of the point that Lewis makes here just in the, the beginning of the letter is that we are bodied creatures. We And that, that affects us. We're not always going to be high. We're going to come down. And there's going to be times when we're down, and then we're going to go up high again. Uh, Screwtape says, while, there's, uh, while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, their bodies, passions, and imaginations are in continual change. It's just part of how we're made. It's just part of how we are. There's going to be ups, and there's going to be downs. Our emotions don't last forever. <clears throat> uh, he says in a, another section, uh, this is page 37, as long as he lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And part of what we need to recognize with this is that there can be a variety of causes for why we're in an up or why we're in a down. Sometimes they may be spiritual causes, and we need to, you know, to do that self-reflection and ask ourselves those questions. Is the reason that we're struggling right now, it may be because of sin. But we can't just assume that because we're going through a rough period that it is because of sin. It may just be that you, you know, haven't slept well for the past week, and it's having an effect on your body. And so right now, you're just really low because your body's really low, and that plays on your emotions, and that affects your condition and your outlook and things like that. There can be a, a whole variety of different things that affect us. This is Some of this is connected to ideas we've talked about uh, in the past. And so there could be spiritual reasons or there could be natural reasons for why one 
uh, can go from being in a high to being down in a uh, to being down in a trough. But then the letter starts to turn from not just talking about you know these these ups and downs, but then it starts to talk about God's using of the troughs. And in particular, this is important because um, this is something the scriptures teach very clearly. God uses troughs in our lives. Screwtape says he relies on the troughs even more than on the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. I mean, even Jesus went through troughs. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is sweating drops of blood while he's crying out to God. I mean, that's, that's a trough. You read the Old Testament, it's filled with troughs. Moses has down uh, 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 low points. Uh, uh, Elijah has down points. All of them do. You read the Psalms, and it's filled with it. I mean, Psalm 88 is just crying out to God in the, the midst of suffering. Psalm 23 talks about the valley of the shadow of death. And the Bible is filled with all these low points, and the reason the Bible is filled with all these low points is because God uses them. He uses those to sanctify us and to, to bring us closer to him. In fact, you could even say, if, if you don't go through low points, that might raise a question. Is, is, is God, you know, does God need to be doing some work on me that, uh, you know, maybe we need to have a conversation about, you know, ask God, you know, do I need to go through a little bit more suffering? Not because you love the suffering, but, you know, do I need to be brought closer to you in some way? Do I need to be sanctified somewhere? So this is something he, he um, one of the things he talks about here, God uses the troughs um, to sanctify us, to make us more like himself. Or as Screwtape says, he really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. He wants servants who can finally become sons. It's God's desire in the end to, to mold us and to change us and to, to conform us more to himself. I do want to mention briefly in this letter, um, we do see Lewis, uh, some of Lewis's Arminianism coming out. Um, this is on page which is on 39. Say again? Yeah. Um, he cannot ravish, he can only woo. Um, earlier, earlier he talks about, you know, merely to override a human will um, uh, would, uh, would be for him useless. Um, and so there, what Lewis is, is trying to talk about, and there's part of what Lewis is saying that's fine, but there's another part of it that's, that's not fine. So um, God, let, let me put it this way. We do have free will in the sense that we have the ability to make decisions. I mean, our confession even has a whole chapter on, on free will. Now, part of our problem is, is that we're sinners and our will is marred by sin and by the fall. And, um, you know, what is it that sinners desire? Well, sinners desire sin. And a sinner cannot turn to God on his own. And this is where Lewis is a, is a little off base in that, you know, he, he, he views God's drawing us to himself almost as kind of being like we're robots and God is just kind of, forcing us to come to him. Well, not even robots. You know, we're, we've got, we have no desire to come to him and, and um, 
And God just violates us to bring us to himself. That's his idea. When he says, he cannot ravish, he can only woo. As if God violates us by drawing him to himself. Well, that's not what we believe. We believe that what God does is he, he takes our sinful nature and he changes us and he regenerates us where we're still sinners, but we now have the desire and the ability to follow after him. We don't choose him. He chooses us. But as he changes us, he turns us from what we were and enables us to to love him and to follow after him. And so this isn't a a ravishing in the end. It's a a regeneration that happens. Um, And then after we're regenerated, we do with hearts that are being sanctified and being changed do truly desire and and freely follow after him. So does that make sense a little bit about what Lewis is saying and the problem with what he's saying versus what we believe? So Lewis is saying that um, Lewis views what we would call irresistible grace as kind of God violating our free will, forcing us to do something against our will. That's not what we believe. We believe that God changes our will, which is not a violation, uh, such that we then desire all those things. Um, and we only come and all the uh, you know follow after Christ through his grace, enabling us to do that. We can't just do it on our own. Lewis would be fine with a little bit of grace, kind of, you know, he breaks down the gate, but you still have to walk through it. You know, he opens the door, but you gotta you gotta complete the work. Um, we would say God opens the door, turns you around, and pushes you through it. Um, but you do actually want to go through the door, so it's not and it's not a violation in that sense. Does that clear it up a little bit? Okay. So as we've mentioned before, Lewis is not reformed. He's got some Arminian ideas. Um, and so this is one of those areas where it comes out a comes out a little bit. Any questions or comments on that? Okay. Uh, one last thing I want to mention here. In God using the troughs, he uses it to sanctify us, he uses it to bring us closer to himself, all those things. And the end result of the troughs is to be a love and obedience despite the hardships that we go through. This is what Lewis gets at at the end here. He talks about, hence the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. And later on, uh, Screwtape says, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Now, this is this is the idea that you know, the, the trough, even when you can't see God, when you're going through that valley of the shadow of death, when you're when you're in Psalm 88, that has no high point at the end. It's all darkness. The psalm literally ends with darkness. You're just going through that period of suffering. You look around and you don't know where God is, and you're asking him, Why aren't you responding? Why aren't you answering? And yet in the midst of all that, you still follow after God. 
That's what Psalm 88 is about. It's a psalm that's entirely about suffering and darkness, and yet the entire psalm is a prayer. And throughout the entire psalm, the psalmist talks about him praying and crying out to God. Despite everything being bad and the struggle he's going through, he follows after God. And he continues to follow after God. That is us being drawn after God and having such a love and obedience to him that even in our lowest and darkest points, we still are going to be faithful and follow after him. And for Satan, you know, that's, that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. When we're suffering, that's when we're supposed to raise our fist at God. That's when we're supposed to be angry to fight against him. But in the end, the, the end result of our, our sanctification and being drawn to him and, and going through those experiences is that we will still love and trust him and have faith and follow him despite that. And he's promised he's going to be with us through it. We may not feel it and sense it all the time, Psalm 88, that guy definitely doesn't feel it or sense it. Doesn't mean God's not there. Doesn't mean God's not acting. That's why he's prayed. He knows the character of God. He's like, yeah, I don't sense it right now, but I'm just going to keep crying out. That's our only hope. So that's the end result here of God using the trust to sanctify us, bring us closer to him, so that we have such a faith and love and obedience that we will persevere despite the trust. And even when we can't see him, even when we don't know the end of the story, we'll still follow after him. So, any questions, comments, anything we've talked about this evening? Anything else? All right.